Hello, I'm Zeb Newworth, and welcome to Creating a New Healthcare, a podcast series for healthcare leaders who are interested in fresh perspectives, new ideas, and bold solutions on how to advance the creation of a customer-oriented, value-based, and humanistic system of health. The views I express on this podcast are solely my own and do not represent the views of any other person or organization. Folks, in my upcoming book, Beyond the Walls, I spend an entire chapter discussing how platforms have revolutionized other industries and how they're about to do the same in healthcare. Over the past couple of years, I've had the privilege of interviewing and learning from some of the experts who have been working within platforms for years. Jeffrey Parker, who wrote the now classic text, The Platform Revolution, as well as Vince Caritas and Dr. Randy Williams, who have over the past decade been working to introduce the platform revolution into healthcare. If you're interested in really understanding what platforms in healthcare look like and what differentiates them from the more typical business models, I recommend you listen to my podcast interview with Vince and Randy. It's episode 149-149, and it was recorded on April 19th, 2023, on this, the Creating a New Healthcare podcast. You can also read chapter seven in my upcoming book, Beyond the Walls. Now, during that podcast interview with Vince and Randy, they mentioned an exciting example of a platform business model in healthcare. And the company they mentioned is called KeyCare. It was founded and is being led by a physician entrepreneur, Dr. Lyle Berkowitz. In this interview, we're going to discover how this novel platform, KeyCare, can address some of the really challenging issues around access, capacity, and even burnout, specifically in primary care. Now, before I formally introduce Dr. Berkowitz, I'd like to officially announce the upcoming publication of my second book. It's called Beyond the Walls. It's about the megatrends, the humanistic movements, and the market disruptions that are literally transforming healthcare in America. It's an odyssey into the courageous entrepreneurs, the trailblazing leaders, and the organizations that are going beyond the walls of the legacy healthcare system to create a more personalized, effective and humane system of care. The book is different from many others in this genre in that it's not, it's not about what's wrong in American healthcare. Instead, it's actually about what's right and what we should be doing more of. The official publication date is September 5th, 2023, and the book is currently on pre-order at amazon.com. I also want to add that all proceeds from the book are being donated to Feeding America, a nonprofit dedicated to eliminating hunger nationwide. And the fact is this book has everything to do with our conversation today, because as you're about to discover, Dr. Lyle Berkowitz is a beyond the walls leader. What his company is doing is taking us beyond the walls of our constrained approaches to patient care, particularly in the domain of primary care. Now, Lyle Berkowitz, MD, is the founder and CEO of KeyCare, the nation's only virtual care company built on Epic. He has more than 20 years of experience as a primary care physician, a health system executive, as well as an informatics expert and a serial entrepreneur. Previous previous roles include founder and chairman of HealthFinch, 
the chief medical officer at MD Live and director of innovation for Northwestern Medicine in Chicago. Dr. Berkowitz is editor in chief for Telehealth and Medicine Today. He has served on numerous boards in the past and is currently a board member for OneView Healthcare. Now, Lyle has been listed as one of health leaders' 20 people who make healthcare better, health spotters, future health top 100, and modern healthcare's top. 25 clinical informaticists. He's been elected to the ACP, the American College of Physicians, as well as HIMSS, the Healthcare Information Management System Society. He graduated with a biomedical engineering degree from the University of Pennsylvania and is an associate professor of clinical medicine at the Feinberg School of Medicine at Northwestern University. Lyle, what a privilege and a pleasure to have you on the show today. How are you? I'm doing great, Seth, and I, I appreciate it. I uh, really enjoy your podcast. It's one of the ones that I do listen to and has sparked a number of ideas, including the one you did with uh, Vincent Randy on, on platforms, which I've known both those guys and you and I have known each other a bit over the years. So I that one blew me away. I thought that was so fantastic and uh, and love the the thought that we can we can start expounding a bit more on that. Well, thanks for saying that. Well, I've been tracking you for quite some time. And and again, I don't know why it's taken us so long to get together, but I'm so excited. Could you give the audience a thumbnail sketch, sort of an elevator kind of introduction to key care, and then we'll come back to a deeper dive in a moment. So first, yeah, it's important to understand, uh, like a lot of in healthcare, it's a purpose-driven company, right? Our purpose is to improve access to healthcare for all. You know, we have an access issue here, and, and we're trying to help solve for that. Second, our vision is to be the nation's leader in virtual care. We're going to solve access by making virtual care much more accessible, easier, cheaper, faster, et cetera, so that patients can get the care they need uh, online when they need it. But also that means we decrease some of the burden on the office-based doctors and open up uh, space there. Our mission, how we're going to do this, is to create tech-empowered virtual care teams that support, strengthen, and amplify in partnership with our nation's health systems. And the, the differential is we're doing this you know, on the platform that is the most widely adopted in healthcare, and that is Epic. Um, so instead of building a new technology from scratch, uh, we are taking advantage of a uh, the fact that there is a technology that over 60% of health systems use, over 75% of Americans have their records in Epic. And so by taking that uh, as our platform and then building on top of it, uh, we are able to scale much more quickly, efficiently, effectively, and focus on where we think we can differentiate. Well, I'm going to really want to dive into some of the differentiators that you just mentioned. But before we do that, just want to step back for a second. You know, you talked about some of the problems in healthcare around access, ease of use, cost, convenience, the burden on, on physicians. I was interviewing Dr. Gergen Barnett from Boston Medical Center and, and Barbara Rapson of MHQP, and they put it this way, and I'd never heard this before. They said, listen, if primary care were a patient, that is primary care in the United States were a patient it actually would be in the ICU, in the intensive care unit right now. It would be on life support. That's where it is. And so when I hear you talk about that, I, my question to you is, again, 
practicing clinician for many, many years, a teacher, academic, uh, serial entrepreneur. How do you capture the problem of primary care? And, and, and there was one thing you also said, which I'd never heard before. When we were corresponding via email in preparation for this, you said something about the tyranny of the office visit. And, and I'm curious as to what you mean by that. Yeah, so let me start with the following. I, I did listen. I, I like, love that podcast, those those two uh, folks talking about primary care and their research and thoughts on it. And I agree with a lot, um, but I disagree with this, this very well-accepted idea that we have a shortage of primary care physicians, right? They Primary care is on life support, et cetera. But, and they say the problem is that we don't have enough doctors. We just need more doctors, et cetera. And I would, and I know they didn't, I'm summarizing, but I would say that we don't have a shortage of physicians and particularly primary care physicians as much as we have a shortage of using them efficiently. The analogy is like saying uh, that we have a shortage of travel agents because there are not travel agents on every block doing every aspect of the travel arrangements, right? We have figured out using technology and delegation and uh, automation, et cetera, and self-service, how to do travel much better ourselves. And we use travel agents when we really need. Same thing with a bank. When you really need a banker, you'll go in, but much of everything else can be done online. It's oversimplification. Um, but the idea is in primary care, we um, basically have continued to focus on this notion that the majority of care needs to be delivered in the office. I'm pretty sure the original quote was from Don Berwick, you know, this the, the one of the wizards and, and, and experts in, in healthcare, who said, it called it the tyranny of the office visit, hmm. that we require patients to come in, which is a huge burden on patients. Uh, uh, it takes a lot of time you know, for uh, them as well as the physician, but that's the only way we could get paid, um, right? And the problem with that. And the focus has been so much on how do we figure out how to get the doctor to see more patients or how do we figure out how to make more doctors? In reality, we have to step back and say, what problem are we really solving? And I would reframe the problem is what I said. We have to rethink you know, how to use doctors more efficiently. And I often call it my sad philosophy to make doctors happy and patients healthy. And that is how do you simplify, automate, and delegate the routine, repeatable rules-based aspects of care? I call that the triple R threat that's drowning our doctors. How do we simplify, automate, delegate those routine things? And that's why I did in the past with health things. That's what we're doing in many cases with key care so that we can load balance, take off the the plate of the office-based doctors, the officeologists, take off their plate those routine things, let a tech-enabled, tech-empowered virtual care workforce do that in a highly efficient manner that can include automation, while the doctors in the office can focus on the smaller number of patients you know, who really need to be seen in the office. Imagine if we could go to our doctor workforce and say, guess what? We're going to ask you to see 50% less patients in the office, and we're going to increase your revenue by 50%. How would that make you feel? Yeah, Would that solve a lot of the burnout issues? And of course, you know, I think most doctors would be very happy with that, but they're going to ask, how are you going to do that? You're going to say, we're making you the leaders of the team, and we have to get back to this concept of team-based care, but we have to figure out how to do it at scale, um, and we have to figure out uh, the finances around it, which we can talk more about. Um, but if we do that, we 
make life better for doctors and better for patients at the same time. Yeah, well, I love your reframe and, you know, really changing the nature of the problem from how do we create more doctors to how do we really leverage the doctors and amplify their impact and their value proposition. And I really, really love your acronym, simplify it, automate it, and then delegate. So let's just jump to the solution that you all have created. So how would you take what you just described, this reframe and this SAD approach, how would you take it and how does key care solve that new redefined problem of leveraging physicians in this sort of new team, if you will, expanded team? Well, I think what we're doing is really combining a lot of things that we all know make sense from a clinical perspective, right? Population health management, team-based care, technology that helps automate routine things. Like you put those three things together and, and that's what we've created. And, and you know, the question might be, um, you know, we know team-based care works, but in, in many cases, it's been done with doctors and maybe lower level assistants. And there's questions to, as to one, where would they physically go? And two, how will they get paid for? Well, by virtualizing things, we take away this physical office um, limitation that many places have. And from a business model, you know, we are finding that there are a variety of business models that make sense, even if they may not make sense for 100% of patients. You know, the uh, first of all, uh, when we're dealing with an organization, a health system that's at risk and has some level of capitated patients, uh, it, of course, starts to make sense to say, okay, how can we take care of these patients outside the office in a highly convenient, effective, high-quality way? And by doing that, you know, we're decreasing the risks that they're going to go into the ER or overuse other resources. We're increasing how quickly we can respond to them and overall providing actually in a funny way, mm -hmm. I often say HMO capitated care actually gives patients the type of concierge care that a lot of rich people will pay thousands of dollars for, right? They have someone who's going to answer them 24 hours a day um, to take care of their needs. But additionally, you know, outside of urgent care, we have to really look at preventive care, chronic care, uh, et cetera. And mm -hmm. so we're building this workforce that can do that. Um, and in an at-risk situation, we'll look at how that can be sponsored by the at-risk entity, whether that is a PMPM capitated type of fee or some other, there's there's at least someone who's, who will pay for it in a commercial environment. Mm -hmm. You know, we're, what we're doing is partnering with health systems who, in many cases, will do the billing themselves. So it's something where we can take care of the patients. The health system can uh, can bill uh, for the care because we partnered with them so closely. And this can at least be cost neutral, if not even a profitable uh, partnership for the health systems. Um, although the real profit, so to speak, doesn't come from seen a lot of lightweight routine care. It comes from the fact that, number one, we expand the total panel size that they can manage, which is great, whether you're captate or fee-for-service. And fee-for-service, the greater the panel size, um, the, the greater the downstream revenue. So realistically, that aligns. Second is we load balance, meaning if your doctors are taking care of really low-level routine stuff, that means they don't have room for new patients and more complex patients, which are 
more meaningful for the health system. So we say, hey, if we load balance that, we open up room for your, your uh, current doctors to see the right patients. And third, when we partner with health systems, a lot of times we open up the opportunity for new contracts, uh, whether that is improving their value-based care contracts or establishing new contracts with local payers or employers who often require, for example, 24 by 7, uh, 50 state urgent care access, we are becoming the partner for the health systems because the other thing that we do is really don't try and compete with the health systems. We respect and partner with our health systems, let them take care of the really difficult stuff, um, but we help extend their front door, their digital front door, to take care of the routine stuff in a hyper-convenient manner so that they can actually start competing with many of the new entrants that are out there, um, but make sure the patient's total care is um, hybrid in nature uh, and convenient for the easy stuff, um, but also able to take care of the more difficult stuff in person. So that's really helpful in terms of some of the benefits. So how do you actually you use the word partner, how do you actually partner with the healthcare system? What does that look like? How would a system access you? So because we are working on our instance of Epic and the health system, like many are on their instance of Epic, uh, we're actually able to use Epic's built-in interoperability features to technically you know, really share information about the patient easily. There's a, a well-known um, interoperability functionality called Care Everywhere, uh, which every Epic site has, and that allows for really robust data sharing between two Epic sites. But in addition to that, um, Epic has created in the past couple of years new functionality that allows for cross-instance scheduling, and that's called Telehealth Anywhere and Book Anywhere. And that means that the patient can actually go to the health system's front door, whether that's their online portal in my chart or uh, to their call center in their scheduling system. And online on my chart, the patient can self-schedule, uh, request an on-demand appointment for urgent care. And in the call center, uh, the hospital, the health systems schedulers can schedule with providers who are sitting on our instance of Epic. And so to the patient, it's pretty seamless. To the health system, all it requires, you know, is uh, really connecting the two EPIC sites. Uh, it doesn't require new interfaces. This is all built-in functionality. Additionally, EPIC, you know, does allow for cross-instance messaging. Um, we can do orders, referrals, et cetera, in a variety of ways. And so we really act like a, a teammate to the health system and their providers rather than this third party that's often a distant land using a different system. Because we use the same system, everything's connected. The health system um, you know, usually works with us. And depending on the situation, there might be some small maintenance fee, but mainly uh, the idea is that uh, we are getting you know, paid in some way to help take care of the demand, the volume. You know, We have our own medical group. We work with other medical groups. Our goal in life is to have, you know, provide as much care as possible uh, and to get, be paid fairly for that in conjunction and partnership with the health system. Got it. So, I mean, that's a huge differentiator that you actually are on Epic and you're sort of like a Epic provider, if you will. We have the same type of contract, the same software that all these health systems have. We are 
you know, uh, you know, really looked at as, you know, a national provider of care, and then we're an EPIC. And, you know, we have a model where we have our own medical group, uh, but we also partner with other medical groups that might be a small specialty medical group in, you know, uh, cardiology, rheumatology, GI, et cetera. And they'll partner with us and um, work on our system to be able to then also serve the health systems uh, more easily. So we we to the health system, we can look like a marketplace, a virtual care marketplace, where they can, instead of having to find a bunch of point solutions, they can work with us and find all the different virtual care solutions they need, but know because everyone's working on Epic, um, that they'll be uh, truly clinically connected with us. Um, and vice versa, we'll be able to see their records, which in turn allows us to provide higher quality care. Mm -hmm. So in all these situations, you know, we are really building this long-term partnership in a two-sided network because to these, to the virtual care providers out there, you know, we are a great tech stack, um, but also a great um, you know, business partner to introduce them into you know, all this business and demand on the health system side. They have all the demand. We have virtualists that create supply. We connect all of them together, um, and it creates this beautiful two-sided network where, amongst other things, the busier we get on one side, the more health systems we have, the more uh, virtual care providers will want to work with us, and the more virtual care providers we have, the more health systems will want to work with us. Yeah, I see for sure the two-sided platform and some of the network effect here. And it seems to me that, as you're saying, the more providers you have on, the more options there are for patients as well. So you mentioned, right, specialty providers. I definitely hadn't really thought about that, but that would be ideal for them to have a virtual primary care medical group available to them 24-7 for their patients. I could also see how payers and retailers who are in healthcare would value this as well to have a virtual medical group that is in all 50 states, which again is a huge, huge advantage, right? To be able to span the country that way. My question is around specifically around hospital systems. A lot of the hospital systems, if not most, have primary care providers. They have team-based care. They have virtual care. If you were going to outline, what is the value proposition to to a hospital or healthcare system that is an integrated delivery network? What do you offer them, and why why would a system want to work with you? Yeah. So if you think about many health systems, you know that we're working with are pretty sophisticated, right? Yeah. You know, as you said, they've yeah you know, they've got Epic, they've got the technology to do telehealth, they've got lots of doctors. But the truth is, you know, there's only a limit to how many doctors they actually have, and they've got to figure out what is the best thing for them to do. So health systems are amazing at doing really complex stuff. That's why we go to them. That's why we need them. They are not traditionally amazing at doing really low-level convenient stuff, you know, gain a refill, you know, treating science infection at seven at night. Um, there are very few health systems who, you know, would think of themselves as, as that being their uh, their differentiating factor. And while they can do it, you know, the issue is, is it the best use of resources? So I, I put into four categories of why a health system would want to work with us. Number one is overall better economics. You know, they have a limited number of suppliers. Is it the optimal you know, use of their providers to do a bunch of virtual care or to open up and, and do 
um, office-based visits for more complex patients that represent more value to the health system. And on top of that, you know, the economics of having to not only have providers 24 by 7, but also to manage them, et cetera. And that leads to number two, which is decreased distraction for internal staff. Your internal staff only has so much time um, to focus on any one project. And if they're the staff is focusing on building, maintaining, training, supporting, reporting, et cetera, then uh, on this lightweight type of care, because we admit what we're doing is commoditized, lightweight, routine care, then they don't have that same time to focus on taking care of the really big, complex issues um, that patients really need and why they go to the health system. In addition to the you know internal, middle, lower level staff, the executives and team have to focus, have to decide where they want to focus on their strategy where we can come in with this type of care at scale. On the economic side, again, the idea is at scale, we can do certain things across 100 different EPIC systems that any one system can't do at scale. The third thing is access to better technology. We, eCare, will be investing a lot more time and money on optimizing our EPIC instance than any single health system, I think, would do on its own. Um, and that will allow us to continue to really fine-tune and improve the efficiency and effectiveness of taking care of this routine care. And finally, you know, we will be a marketplace with a wide variety of options. So if you say, hey, we do urgent care already, great, but we can help with primary care and maybe some specialty, or, you know, we do um, some primary care, great, but we can help with 24 by 7 urgent care. There's probably always something we can do. And in the end of all this, on top of those four distinctions, Sev, I think, that the demand is so much greater than most health systems can appreciate. And if all they do right now is focus on how do we take care of our current patient load, then they're missing on the fact that our goal is to help them double their panel size um, and expand much greater ability to take care of a, a larger population. Now, again, in the end, we're a population health enablement company. We're not a telehealth company. We're not selling the main technology. And so the health systems we're talking to fully buy into that and are happy to have a partner doing that. They've got so many other things to worry about. Um, and quite honestly, in many cases, this type of routine commoditized care, this loss leaders, they'll lose money doing it themselves. And they admit that you know, they can't treat a cold any better than anyone else. So why not let us come in and help them uh, in a way that allows them to really, again, expand that panel size uh, with a partner they can trust and uh, in a way that is truly clinically connected to them and their providers. So that's that's a pitch to them. But I do, I do want to bring up one of the things that is the most difficult part, which is getting physician adoption, because we will always run into the issue of um, one, only we can take care of patients, and we don't want some stranger taking care of our patients. Two, uh, you're stealing our patients, and you know where's the revenue for the providers? And three. You know, that's not the way we're used to doing things. You know, we're used to just, I'm used to as a primary care doctor in particular, seeing everybody myself. So I have what I would call the three C's for physician adoption. You know, us doctors said we like our acronyms. So the three C's are as follows. Um, number one is uh, you need to present your, your doctors in the health system with a clinically connected care team. Um, that they feel comfortable knowing that the data is shared. And that's what key care can do. You know, we, we've talked about that. The second two Cs, however, are something we can 
you know, I can talk about, but the health system has to really adopt. And the second C is compensation redesign. Now we're starting to see this, but this is hard. If you pay your doctor strictly on our views that they perform, then of course they're gonna be upset if anyone else sees their patients for anything. Um, even though their patients are gonna get seen elsewhere uh, anyway, what if you instead paid them based on panel size management, the size and quality of, of management of their panel size? Because if you did that, then you'd align them with having a team that allows them to increase their panel size. And like I said, go back to what if you could tell them, we'll increase your revenue by 50% and decrease your office-based load by 50%. Compensation is going to be really important part of the discussion. And the third C is culture. And this is educating and facilitating this concept to physicians, their staff, and the patients that team-based care and virtual care are not only acceptable, but actually better in many ways to keeping closer tabs on a patient. As a primary care doc, I might see a patient two, four times a year, but that's it. What if I had a team who's monitoring the patient on a much more regular basis? If we do that correctly, and I can tell that patient, this is my team, and I know that team because Key Care has built up a team specifically for Dr. Berkowitz, um, I think that we'll get widespread adoption and really, again, change this tune of uh, a third party that's just a, a, a black hole of taking care of patients to a team-based approach um, that really partners and makes a primary care doctor the the head, the captain of the team. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd love to come back to your three C's, but this team-based notion, most of us who think about virtual care think about basically there's a doctor on the other side of that. And you talk about having a team as opposed to just a virtual provider. So say more about that. What 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 type of team do you have at, at Key Care supporting each one of your physician providers? Well, the, the vision is that uh, we would be able to um, coordinate with the health system and work with their primary care providers, for example. We'll, we talk about specialists separately. For a primary care provider, I'd want to build up a team you know, that had a physician and a, a couple of NPs, maybe even RNs. Um, and the doctor in the health system then has a known team that they're connected with uh, who is helping them manage their patients. When I've set up medical homes in the past at Northwestern, if I tell my patient, this is my team, I have a nurse, for example, a virtual nurse, they were widely adopted because they trusted me and my trust extended to this nurse who was working with me, who was checking on the patient on a regular basis. In this same concept, we believe that we um, can build up these teams uh, and make them truly part of uh, the experience um, for both the provider and the patient that they really are working coordination. And it, it is, it's a sea change from the idea that you always have to see your doctor for everything. Um, but the truth is one, you're not seeing your doctor for everything. A lot of patients are going to a variety of urgent care clinics, et cetera, for, for a variety of things uh, and often aren't able to get into their doctor uh, in the primary care world. Um, and and so it's a disorganized team that's taking care of them. And that's not nearly as efficient or as effective. So what if we could really make it much more connected and, and it make it a lot more convenient because patients will often say, and they've said this, uh, I've seen this 
yeah, at larger studies and, and I, anecdotally, right, that patients often don't want to bother their primary care doctor with little things. And they will often go to the local you know, retail stores or online, um, not only because they can't get in, but they don't even want to bother the doctor and because they recognize it's not that important. But it's important enough it should be connected, but maybe it's not important enough for an office visit. Um, and that's what we're trying to emphasize. And the truth is, if you look at other specialties, and you know, we talk about outside of healthcare, but even within healthcare, look at what anesthesiologists have done, dermatologists, ophthalmologists, surgeons, they build up these teams. And the patient is quite comfortable knowing that a team is going to take care of them. But when they really need the doctor, the main guy, the main woman, that they know that they will have that access to that doctor. And that's what's important, both the ability to get your, the care that you need and want quickly for the routine stuff, but also the knowledge that when things are more complex, uh, you will be able to access your doctor. And the, the fact is those are related because the more you, you load balance, again, take off the plate of the doctor, the, the easy stuff, the more time they'll have to be there for you and uh, for the complex stuff. Mm -hmm. It sounds to me that you offer options in how key care will serve a client healthcare system or any client for that matter. So it depends on the type, whether it be a payer or a specialty group or a healthcare system with primary care. So is it, and I'm just trying to understand here, is it that literally if I'm the primary care physician, like you were just saying, your team, your virtual team literally will be an extension of my team. And so I'm still the primary care doctor. They would still see me for whether it's annual visits or other chronic disease management, but you're sort of a pop-off valve. Or, or is it that you literally will take over the primary care of patients in excess of what a system can do? Or is it pretty much yes to everything we will we'll do key care will do and and work with you in whatever way you want us to work with you so just trying to understand that well there's always a balance right is to yeah uh, but let me let me put it this way one what we do is we offer solutions and solutions are well-defined um specific things that we do so solution one is on-demand urgent care that is simply exactly the the excess valve it is the fact that 24 7 um your patients can Call, and if you or if anyone's not available, you know, we will get a provider who can take care of that patient for a routine urgent care type issue. These are your colds, your refills, you know, your rashes, et cetera. And that is something that's important. A lot of we started with that in part because health systems really, you know, are looking for that uh, and they need a partner, particularly for, um, you know, that 24 by 7 as well as 50 state access that they can't do themselves. Um, and so that's a release valve. Uh, that's solution number one. Uh, another solution um, is in primary care, we actually, uh, we're rolling out a couple solutions. I'd put them into three categories. Category one is basically scheduled same-day appointments, whereas the first solution was on-demand. Uh, the second is scheduled. When we move to scheduled, uh, we start creating a more of a specific, smaller group that's working with a health system and their providers. Um, but same-day appointments, it's the idea that you never want to tell your patients, we can't take care of you today. You always, when they call, you can schedule them. Um, and that is very much similar, but a supplement to on-demand. The third is preventive care. 
third solution would be in the preventive care. That might be annual wellness visits, care gap closures, um, uh, and similar, basically outbound uh, or scheduled visits um, that start to do, again, some of the super routine stuff that often don't get done by the provider because they don't have time. The studies show again and again, yeah, maybe 50% of patients get all the care that they need. And uh, the fact is, you know, think about if all of a sudden uh, you as a provider had a team that could take care of Medicare and wellness visits or care gap closures that you weren't able to get to uh, because you were too busy when you saw the patient. Um, and then uh, the next category is sort of that chronic care management. Um, imagine as a, and I forget, is that your primary care as well? Yeah, internal medicine. Right, internal medicine as I am. When we see a patient who's got diabetes, hypertension, high cholesterol, but they're stable and they're on the same medicines, imagine if we could see them at their annual visit and say, hey, listen, um, you're doing relatively well. You're stable on your medicines. You do need to work on your diet and exercise a bit. Um, and now you have to come see me four times a year so I can check your A1C in your labs so I can check off that I did it. Well, what if I turned to them and said, hey, Seb, I'm going to... Uh, assign you to my Dr. Berkowitz's team. And my team includes Dr. Smith um, and uh, Jane and and Bill and uh, Mary, and they are going to ch check in with you on a monthly basis. They'll make sure all your refills are up to date. They'll make sure all your labs are up to date. Uh, you can come in and do your labs. You don't need to make a full appointment. You can come in whenever you want. And we'll also um, answer minor questions. And if needed, if there's a problem, they'll escalate to me and we'll take care of it together. So you see how, how wonderful that actually can be for the patient to know that they've got someone online to take care of them um, and that they can get in and see the doctor if they need, but they don't have to worry about coming in every three months, taking off work, finding parking, just to be told, okay, here's a refill, continue everything as you're usually doing. So that's the type of stuff we're we're looking at doing. Uh, another solution set is behavioral health. Uh, we're rolling out therapists and psychiatrists um, uh, that, again, will be a bit of a team-based approach because we'll be sharing the records um, and a variety of specialists that will be focusing on the fact that you asked why do health systems want to work with us because their backlog to see a specialist might be three months. Um, and how can we bring in um, some specialty uh, providers who can help work down that backlog, order tests, triage the patients, start treatment, and then hand them off to the office-based doctors. So does that help a little more? So I'm not saying we can do anything and everything, but we do have some very specific solution sets. And the idea is to, is, as we said earlier, to amplify and leverage the primary care doctor in the office, not to replace them um, as much as to say, how often do you really need to see a patient in the office? How much can you outsource to a team who's working in coordination with you? And you know, I, I also won't rule out the fact that some health systems have said, we simply don't have enough primary care doctors. Could you also serve that role? And I think for the right patient population, a young, healthy population, we can probably serve a bit of that role. Um, but what I really love is the idea of taking the really experienced primary care doctor 10 years out, who's got a, quote, full panel and saying, guess what? We're going to help relieve some of this. And instead of making you close your panel, we're going to let you expand your panel, um, but do so in a way um, where we're really making sure you, doctor, are going to work to the height of your license because you now have gotten to the point where you deserve to have a team help you, just like every other industry does, 
uh, you know, law firms, consulting firms, so many other places um, have, have done this much more effectively than, than primary care doctors. Yeah, no, that's super helpful. And again, I, I admire the multiple solutions and options that you're offering from, like you said, on demand 24 seven with, by the way, access in all 50 states, which could come in handy if organizations are, are dealing with clients or, or payers that have patients in multiple states, the primary care visit, uh, same day, the, the preventive care, things like annual wellness visits, I can imagine, and this sort of follow-up. And you know, then of course, as you mentioned, behavioral health and other specialties, you know, it seems as I'm as I'm listening to you, it seems that again, I'm in my mind. I'm I'm asking myself the question: What problems can this solve? Because because as you mentioned before, the default is uh, both for physicians, division leaders, and and in general healthcare systems that you know we could do it ourselves. That's the default. Why why wouldn't we do this ourselves? Why wouldn't we keep this in house? Why would we allow another provider group to come in and manage our patients for us? And I think for me, as I'm listening to you, I, again, kind of going over some of the things you said, I'm thinking, well, number one, capacity is an issue, whether it's capacity for on-demand care, whether, you know, this is nights and on weekends, whether it's capacity for primary care or for certain specialties like behavioral health. So capacity is one. I, I think uh, another problem or opportunity that you offer is we know that it's typically the first visits that are the highest revenue and highest margin. It's when you know you really make some big decisions in that first visit or two. And after that, as you were mentioning, it becomes more follow-up, chronic care and management. And so I think I could see an organization saying, why don't we actually really focus on those clinically important, relationally important, and revenue and margin leading sort of visits and outsource this other stuff. And that potentially, as you point out, can lead to greater growth and as opposed to people having to close their panels, as you mentioned. And I think finally, the argument would be around efficiency. And I think you would agree, many, if not most organizations are doing and attempting to do more virtual care, much of what you're offering a key care. But I think, as you mentioned, that's not necessarily the number one, two, or three issue on their plate, sort of focus, uh, as you point out, large healthcare systems, their real differentiator is the highly complex, the technical care that they provide. And so here you are as a company where you're saying, this is what we do. This is all we do. We do not do hospital care. We do not do surgeries. You know, We do not do complex type of things. And as a result of that, this is our focus. We, we're going to become highly efficient at this and cost-effective at this. Because you're on Epic, you could add all sorts of ancillary tools and vehicles that actually can be utilized with, uh, with Epic clients, probably even non-Epic clients. And so you're saying, overall, we're going to add an efficiency to your system if you outsource this. So those are some of the reasons. I, again, I'm, I'm working through this because I, I imagine that folks who are listening to this are thinking the same thing as I'm thinking, which is, again... Why would we do this? Why wouldn't we do it ourselves? That's the default. And so am I capturing some of the value proposition you've mentioned? You, you did a great job. Our, my sales team will, will love uh, love taking some of your quotes. See, it, it is, in the end, we're, we're going to have to show 
that we can do this better, faster, and cheaper than you can do it yourself. Um, and the truth is, like, we, we talked to a health system who, you know, six months ago said, hey, our technology folks love what you're doing. I mean, love, love, love what you're doing because it makes their life a lot easier. Our strategy folks love what you're doing because you offer so many choices or plan to. Um, and it's really aligned with us. But our clinical folks, they feel they can do this themselves. Six months later, we went back. Hey, how you doing? They're like, well, they, they've done zero. Like they said they could do it, but they got busy. They did other stuff. You know, they don't have time. You know, and all of a sudden, it's a lot easier to have that discussion. Other places, I mean, they've been super progressive. If they've just recognized, they're like, look, either one, uh, we've tried it ourselves and it's really hard to manage and it's really expensive. And anytime someone leaves, we're in a hole and it's, you know, it's it's not going well. Or two, they've outsourced to another third party and they don't like that because that third party is not connected very well to their Epic system. Or three, they just haven't done anything and they're more than happy to have someone who can expand their overall capacity because access and capacity, you know, is a big issue in a time when there were four shortages, um, demands for patient care. And again, if lightweight routine stuff is clogging up the system, they're not able to see the more complicated stuff that's much higher value. I, I often use this slide that uh, looks at the pyramid of health, the population health pyramid we've all seen, Zeb, right? The top 5% of patients represent 50% of the cost. The lower 50% of patients represent 5% of the cost. And in a health system, the upper 5%, that's where all the profits come in from, certainly in a fee-for-service space. And the lower 50%, you, you want as big a panel size as possible. But the lower 50%, they're clogging up the system. They're making it hard for any, anyone new to come in. And the truth is you're not able to provide access to a lot of that um, pyramid. So our goal is saying exactly what we said. We know where we're focused on. We're boring, commoditized. We're going to focus on the very basic stuff in healthcare. The stuff, that, again, the triple R threat, routine, repeatable, and rules-based. Stuff that doesn't need a doctor. But in, in our society, we, quote, need a doctor. And our goal is to have doctors and NPs, um, you know, who are really truly virtualist, I think, in, in, and who really want to focus on that lower 50%. Because if I go to a health system and say, let us do that lower 50%, and then you and your doctors, your office-based doctors, your officeologists, because they're really optimized for the office, should be focusing on the upper half of the pyramid. Um, it's more appropriate for patients and it's better revenue for you and it allows you to expand. And guess what? We're not stealing your patients. We're just babysitting the routine ones until they need and to go up to the upper part of the pyramid. And then we're handing them right back to you. And we're doing it in a really connected way. And we're doing it in a way where you're not going to lose money. You, and you may even make money because we key care as an asset light organization that is completely focused exclusively on virtual care. We're going to be able to do this better, faster, and quicker than you can yourself. Because the worst thing you do is take an uh, you know, office-based doctor with all of their, you know, how they usually take care of things based in office and have them switch off between doing office-based care and virtual care. It's, it's not efficient for them. It's a cognitive dissonance for them. Let people focus where they need to. Just like, let's face it, in the 1990s, you know, we, we divided uh, hospitalists into a new group. Uh, I think now we have to think about officeologists and virtualists. And the truth is, we're not inventing the concept. Like I say, Kaiser's been doing similar. 
many of similar type groups have something along the same lines. Um, and much of what we may be doing is bringing that type of infrastructure to health systems uh, in a way that is scalable because smaller health systems aren't able to do that themselves. And again, our job is, is not just to build, bring you virtual care teams, but to make them tech empowered because over time, the way this really works is not simply taking a doctor or an MP who can see 20, 25 patients in the office and getting them to do 25 patients online. We have to help our virtualists take care of, you know, many more patients, 50, 100, 200 a day, not by doing that many video visits, but by using combination of asynchronous care automation, et cetera, um, to provide hyper convenient care for very routine issues uh, in a way that starts to make sense and is easily affordable, always accessible, and fully connected to the health systems. Yeah. Again, as I'm listening to you talk, and I hope you don't mind the directness here, but it, it seems to me that if I were thinking through your strategy, I, I think the vast number of mid-sized hospitals in particular, this would be really, really advantageous for them because they rely on community physicians and we know those numbers are dwindling in terms of particularly in terms of primary care other specialties as well but it seems to me that that would be to have essentially this virtual medical practice focus factory that you've created would be huge from a hospital system perspective to have this in in, in all the solutions you mentioned before i think it would be an easier sell and much more readily understandable value proposition. The other thing too is, again, I'm curious as to where you're seeing some of the interest and enthusiasm. Are you still early on? How many years have you been offering this? We you know, we just went live um, last year at Epic's uh, user group meeting. The UGM is when we launched um, with, you know, we had our first sort of pilot uh, place. And uh, in the past you know, nine or so months, you know, we've signed up 10 more health systems, and we have another you know, five in contracting. So we're moving really quickly for a digital health company. Um, but yeah. we're just, you know, certainly uh, early on, we, uh, we've we uh, rolled out urgent care. And most places really want that 24 by 7, 50 state urgent care, either because it fulfills their promise to patients to be there all the time, make sure patients aren't leaking elsewhere, or um, they actually have some type of employer or payer contract that they've agreed to where they need 50 state access 24 by seven, and they simply can't do it themselves. It's, it's just not feasible. Uh, and so we immediately um, become a great partner for them, but almost all of them are talking about the next phase of adding on behavioral health where, you know, we'll, later this year, we expect to roll out therapists, psychiatrists uh, to health system support. We expect to roll out same day type of visits to support primary care. We're exploring the ability later this year to do Medicare annual wellness visits. And we're talking to a large number of specialty groups to come you know, work with us on our platform and be available to health systems. So we're, you know, we are in what they call classic growth mode um, uh, with respect to the number of health systems we're signing up, as well as the number of offering solutions that we'll be able to offer them. Yeah, I love what you just said. You're going for the pain points and you just listed them. I think that's brilliant. And again, I, I can see how that would, starting there, and it sounds like it's a start, but it's an important start to going to where the pain is, where the need is for these systems. And then once they become familiar with you, you know, moving on, 
I just, I was going to ask you, what is the next step or where are you going? Where do you see that three to five year plan? But before we do that, I just want to call out one thing, you know, which we haven't really emphasized enough in this conversation, which is, and you touched upon it before the issue of physician burnout. You're right. We expect clinicians, particularly primary care and some specialists to do everything, to be everything for everyone, everywhere, all the time, to manage the the people they see in their office, to do all that's involved with that in terms of the in-basket. And in fact, there was just an article in JAMA about that. Not only is there in the in-basket now, but there's now messaging from patients and questions. And, and then, of course, all the follow-up and the in-between work. And then we're going to add virtual care to it. I think you pointed this out, actually, one of our correspondences. I mean, the literature cites that a primary care doctor, to do their job right, it would be literally over 24 hours a day just to do their job. Between 26 prevent- and a half hours a day 26. just to take care of a a, stand, yeah, a 2,000 or so patient panel. And wow. for some, so some places are saying, oh, well, I guess what we have to do is cut the panel's sizes down to 800 people. And I'm like, that's going to be great for those 800 people but horrible for the thousands of people mm-hmm. yeah you know, who can't get in it you know again my mind shift is how do we double that panel size imagine that if we help a pcp manage a panel size of 5000 but again has to be there has to be a tech enablement has to be a care team approach to make this at all scalable and doable but otherwise we're doomed to basically just say healthcare is only for those who can afford it uh you know who can afford a concierge doctor we are in a major crisis, going back to earlier what you said, mm-hmm. primary care is on life support right now, or the saying goes, uh, United States is you can get the best health care if you can afford it. But it is a world of have and have nots. And our goal, our purpose in life uh, as an organization is to make sure everybody gets the health care they, uh, they deserve, um, and they get that access. And the more we can do online, the more that relieves the pressure in the office as well. And so both sides can win. Well, I absolutely love what you just said. And I wish you had said it at the start, because I, I know you a little bit. I know that's what you're about. And and in fact, that's one of the things I wanted to turn to was one, how this actually helps providers and two, and most importantly, how it actually helps patients and the public, because access is a huge, huge problem, affordable access. And this is, uh, to me, a solution that actually, you know, coupled with with other primary care systems and providers and healthcare systems, payers and, and others can really help to solve the cost issue and the access issue. So I, I really appreciate what you just said. In fact, I'm going to quote it and, and put it up front for you because I, I think it's really important. The issue of payment, we've come back to this. And again, I think if a healthcare system were evaluating you, obviously they're they're going to be looking at how that pro forma works and all that. What, what kind of message, if you had an audience and you may be doing, I suspect you've already had audiences like this, where you're talking to senior most folks within healthcare systems, uh, C-suite executives, what's your message to them? So from a financial perspective, uh, the idea is that, first of all, the meta level, the high level, strategic level, Anything that expands the panel size, the capacity that you as a health system have is a good thing, whether you're fee for service and you can make the argument that that helps with the downstream revenue, or if you're at risk, capitated, et cetera, in which case, of course, more capacity, larger panel sizes is more PM, PM revenue. So thinking through the idea of capacity management, panel size is important, looking at us not as simply how do we manage your current panel, but how do we help expand your panel, knowing that the demand is out there is is number one. Number two is 
even for just your panel, the idea that we're helping decrease leakage, right? Increase keepage, make sure if a patient is going to go somewhere to do their care online, make sure they're coming to you, that you're losing to a partner, so to speak, that is connected to you. Uh, because one, we can actually set up a couple different ways where that still represents billing that might come through the health system, therefore some profit to the health system, um, as well as help ensure that the patient stays within the health system and doesn't overload the ER with inappropriate low-level care, et cetera. In an at-risk scenario, we can represent a team that can really go out, reach out, and, and help with a variety of, of things to improve the quality of care delivered as well as the documentation of care that's delivered, which can help from a financial perspective. So there are direct, clear ROIs, um, things like, you know, billing and certainly at-risk things that you may you know, decrease, like decreasing 30-day readmissions, decreasing inappropriate ER utilization. And then there, there are a variety of indirect things, being able to see new patients, being able to get the downstream revenue, et cetera. Mm -hmm. That's great. I'm so into this conversation. I've actually, to be honest with you, I've lost track of time and I think we've gone over. So Lyle, is there a final word before we close out? I think the, you know, what we're understanding, what we're trying to do is, is really help a health system transform how they manage a population. As we said, by, you know, being able to build these teams, um, these virtual care teams that enable a provider to take care of more patients, but see less themselves. Um, and really be able to benefit from their experience and seniority as a primary care physician instead of treating them just like a commodity. We're really, I think we need to really rethink how we treat our primary care doctors and give them the teams to let them expand who they can help, while at the same time giving patients what they want, which is super easy online care for the easy routine stuff, but the knowledge that they can get in with their doctors when they really need. And if we do all this correctly, we solve the whole quadruple aim, right? We make the patient experience better. Uh, we decrease the burnout on the providers. We save money uh, by being able to deliver care more quickly and efficiently. Uh, and we can improve quality by making sure everyone gets the care they need when they need it. Um, so I'm, you know, obviously very passionate and enthused about this. And yes, we're looking for health systems who really believe in this this vision and this the mission. Um, and because our first 10, 20 you know, type of health systems, they're going to really help us set the stage. We're going to show the world that this can be done. Um, and this can be done in a way that helps make the health systems more money while actually increasing access and improving quality and decreasing stress on their doctors all at the same time. And if we do that, right, we're just going to change the whole paradigm of, of how we manage patients uh, long term. And, and that, like I said, that's what drives me. And that's um, uh, what I'm thrilled about with our early partners. Like I said, we've signed 10 health systems already, and they are so well aligned on this, this vision model that this is one of those lessons I learned early on in adoption, which is you get a couple of early winners and everyone else is going to start looking over and say, I want what they have. Yeah, you know our healthcare system very, very well. And I love your enthusiasm and passion and your sense of purpose here and where you've come in the arc of your career, which is quite remarkable. So Lyle, I, I just want to thank you so much and thank you for hanging in there and going over time with us today. Really love your innovative approach and just this whole notion of this sort of virtual kind of focus factory is really, really fascinating. 
And I think it's an important solution that we're going to need moving forward. And I love, love, love your reframe that we have to stop asking the question, how do we make more doctors and, and instead ask how do we leverage the ones that we have. And Lyle, as I do every episode, as you know, I like to conclude by thanking all of you out there who are doing the hard work each and every day of taking care of patients or those of you who are supporting those who are taking care of patients. I, and we truly appreciate you for what you do and recognize how critically important your work is to individuals, families, communities, and our society. This is Zev Neuwirth on Creating a New Healthcare. My friends, until next time, be safe and be well.